Every single week in our services, we quote a pastor of Scripture. You know what that Scripture is? Do you know what that Scripture is? Let me give you a little hint. It's written right on the front of our communion table. This do in remembrance of me. There are probably well over 100,000 tables like this across America. Maybe more than 200,000 tables. This one was made custom for us by Roger. And he took it out to a guy to have it lasered to have those letters cut into the front. But those are actually a direct quote from the scriptures, that, and they were words that Jesus used on the last night of his life, when he was celebrating the Passover meal and instituting what we have come to call today the Lord's Supper or communion. Well, that's why we have the shiny covered plate on our altar this morning, because today we're going to observe communion. So, when Jesus asks us to remember, I think it indicates two things. One, it indicates that it's important to remember. It also indicates that we're prone to forget. If we never forgot, we wouldn't really need to remember. And we need to remember because what it is that we remember is critically important. So, in just a little while, when some folks appear at the back and they start making their way to the front and they pass out the elements to you and they're, they're going to give you a little plastic cup that's going to have the fruit of the vine in it. We refer to it as non-fermented wine, also known as grape juice, but we call it non-fermented wine that we're going to serve to you. And then there's going to be some matzah bread because that's the kind of bread that they would have used that evening in the Lord's Supper in the upper room, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, what is it when you grab the cup and you take the thing, and we, we take those together, and we say, take, eat, this is my body. What, what's supposed to be happening? What are we supposed to be remembering? What is it that we might have forgotten that we're supposed to recall? You know, it's, it's not often in the life of our church we get to a moment where we are celebrating communion And we're not in the midst of a series that really makes it difficult for us to focus just around communion. But today we're in one of those spots. And so I want to take some time this morning to talk to us about communion, about the Lord's Supper. And what does it really mean to observe, to remember what it is that God has done for us in Christ? And, you know, you'll, you'll find accounts of the Lord's Supper in four different places in the Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those three Gospels. I think it's really interesting that it's not in the Gospel of John. Some of us seem to think that without communion, you can't really worship God. But John's Gospel doesn't include the the communion at all. So for those who only got the Gospel of John early on, I mean, was their worship faulty for decades before they actually got a copy of Matthew, Mark, or Luke in their hands? I don't think so. That doesn't mean it's not pivotal for us. John has a different way of reflecting what Christ has done for us on the cross, and we see that in the washing. But besides Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you also find it in the book of 1 Corinthians. And that's where I want to look this morning, because we actually see how communion was happening in the life of the church. 
and where Paul was trying to interact with them and say, you know what, you guys are really messing this up pretty good. So I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, the text is on page 976. We're going to be just in chapter 11 today. I'm going to refer back to a couple of verses earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, and then I'll, I'll refer to one passage out of 1 Peter a little later, but I'll give you a reference on that when we get there. Just recalling the scenario that's going on, right? Paul, Paul had spent a lot of time in Corinth planting the church. When he left, the church became pretty troubled. They, 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 they just took a, a good thing and they messed it up, right? So he's writing to them and they've got factions going on and divisions and they're fighting and et cetera and they're lo- changing the, the, the teachings and all this kinds of stuff. And so he's trying to correct a lot of things and answer a lot of questions. And part of this, he's gotten a report that when they gather for the Lord's Supper, they're really making a mockery out of what it is that they're supposed to be remembering. They have forgotten, and because they have forgotten, they really cannot remember in the way that they're supposed to in terms of what Christ has done for them. So let me read. I'm going to read verses 17 all the way through the end of the chapter, through the verse 34. I'm going to work through just a few pieces of it. Now, in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you. In other words, you say, I'm going to teach you something but it's not because you're doing well. It's because you're messing it up. I, I, can't, I can't say you get an A on this, right? So let's go back and let's repeat the material. I'll give you a makeup test, right? Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For, I, to, <coughs> for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So when they get together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's disunity. Strike number one. There must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So he's saying, well, some of you have got it right, the rest of you don't, and therefore there is a division among you. And then verse 20, therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. You, You can take the cup, you can take the bread, that doesn't mean you're experiencing communion. We'll talk about that in just a minute. For at the meal, each one sits... Each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So, you know, they they didn't have church buildings where they showed up at 9 o'clock and expected to be walking out the door at 10.05, you know, for for church. It didn't happen that way. They met in homes. We see that in the book of Acts, other places. They met together day to day, celebrating meals together. They gathered together, and they would have a big family meal, and then as a part of their worship experience, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So here they are. People are getting together, and they're having their big meal, it says, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. What he's really saying there, you, you, you're doing spirit life. I'm, I'm talking way more about this passage than I intended to. You're, you're worshiping just like you did when you were worshiping in the pagan temples. You, you haven't changed your processes at all. You show up, you gorge yourself, you don't care about anybody else, and you go home drunk. And other people could be sitting around you, and they're starving, and you don't care. Don't you have houses to eat and drink? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I don't praise you for this. Since for I received from the Lord, so Jesus directly taught this to Paul, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the last night of Jesus' life, 
the Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See some coincidence what's on the front of our communion table? Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, he, he's saying if, if we aren't taking the Lord's Supper in a way that truly remembers what Christ has done, rather than celebrating his death, we are actually reaffirming why he needed to die in the first place. Because we're sinners. So now that coming to it as something where it's our salvation, celebrating the salvation that we've experienced in Christ, if we're not taking it right, what we're really saying is Jesus died because, you know, and there's no celebration in it. It's actually a moment of conviction. So a man should examine himself, verse 28, and this way he should eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, God's going to discipline and try to get us corrected. He says, this is why some of you are sick. Anybody, I don't, you know, just throw out a, anybody get sick on Monday after taking communion on, on, on Sunday? I don't think it's our element, but anyways. And that probably doesn't happen a lot anyways. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Do this like family. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home. So that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I'll give you instructions about the other matters when I come. They had asked some other questions. So what is it that we're supposed to remember? What are we prone to forget? And I want to I'm going to give you just the, it's, it's always try to give you some kind of a handle to, put you, to be able to hold on to stuff so that you have this truth to live by as you go forward. And so I, I want you to kind of think about our approach to the Lord's Supper today, to the communion, kind of like approaching a, a four-way stop sign. And you need to look four ways. You need to look backwards. You need to look right around you, right and left. And you need to look forward. There's a look back. There's a look within. There's a look around. And there's a look forward. In order for you and I to remember what it is that we are supposed to remember, we need to look back. We need to look within. We need to look around. And we need to look forward. And that's what it really takes to remember and not to forget what it is that Christ is trying to teach us. Now, let me give you a couple of things related to this. Obviously, at the heart and soul of remembering is to, re is to review the past, right? And when Jesus gathered that night in the upper room with the disciples, they were there to celebrate a Passover meal. The Passover meal looked backwards in the life of God's redemptive history with the Israelites. 
That was the night, their last night, <coughs> if you will, in the nation where they were slaves in the nation of Egypt. There had been the ten plagues. They finally got into the last of those, and that was going to be the plague of death. And God instructed all the Israelite families to kill a lamb, <coughs> take the blood, put it on the doorposts of their homes, and when the angel of death, if you will, came through the land of Egypt, it would pass over the houses that had the blood on it, and they would be spared. When Jesus, they, so Jesus, on the last night of his life, he says, I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. And when they come together, he, he basically teaches all over again. He says, I am the new Passover lamb. I'm offering up my body and the blood that's going to come from it so that death, e eternal death, will pass over you. And, and listen, that one of the things that you and I need to remember as we look back, as we come to the table, is that ultimately Christianity is founded on these two words, Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Without a crucified Christ, there is no Christianity. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. There is no eternal life. There is no redemption. It is in Christ crucified. And, you know, I struggle with this as a pastor. I mean, we, we, we have a burden. I think many of you sometimes probably think, yeah, you know, it's maybe a little too far. We need to care for it. We, we, we live in a sea of people who have no idea what it really means and the blessing that can come to live in an active faith relationship with Jesus Christ. They have some vague belief in God or they've rejected God. Whatever, and we just have a burden for those around us. And, and, and I, like our staff and our elders, we're committed to doing whatever we can to reach people. But, but I've I got to tell you, there are times when I, I, I feel this, this twist within because at the heart of it, if, if, if anything that we're doing methodologically somehow obscures or glazes over or hides or restricts the view that we're looking at Christ crucified, as the foundation of our faith, then we're doing something wrong. You know, and today, you know, we're, we're services, and, and listen, there's some churches doing some wonderful do, things, doing these kinds of things, and they're holding up, but, you know, we've got videos and, you know, and PowerPoints, and they got special lighting, and they deck out their stages and themes and all these kinds of wonderful things, and sometimes our college students and our young adult people, that's what they're looking for, our, our teenage kids when they move on, you know, but at the heart and the soul, if the church isn't proclaiming Christ crucified, if it's not remembering that that's the foundation of your faith, they really don't have much to talk about. And, and, and there's wonderful things God has to say about our, our marriages and how to live those out and how to parent better and how to be a person who really has joy and happiness now and all these things that our culture seems to buzz with. But at the foundation of all of it, if we are not proclaiming we are not remembering that Christ died for us. The rest of it is just smoke and mirrors. Paul talks about this in several places. Let me just read just a, a few verses to you from 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Chapter 1, the 23rd verse. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. In other words, you know what? 
This message hasn't helped us reach people, but we cannot help but preach Christ crucified. Chapter 2, verse 2. For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul comes into Corinth. He's looking to do, could do lots of different things. He said, you know what? When I, when I stepped into Corinth, after having been in Athens, when I stepped into Corinth, I said, you know, the thing that I needed to proclaim was a, was a crucified God-man. And that was it. You pick up in chapter 3, verse 11. Paul puts it this for you. He says, for no one can lay another foundation than that which has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So this look back needs to involve the cross. There is no celebration, there is no remembering without, remem- without recalling deep in our own hearts and souls that what put Christ on the cross was our sinfulness. I think there's another look. There's another element of this look back. I, I believe that, that the Scripture asks us in our remembering, remember our own salvation experience. You know what he says here a little later in the, in the chapter as I was reading through? He says, so a man, uh, he said, therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, this is verse 27, will be guilty of the sin against the body of Christ. And whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I think there's, a, there's an element of this look back that God asks us to do in our remembering, do this in the remembrance of Christ, is, is our own salvation experience. I think it's, and, and what troubles me most often is that not, not a, it's not uncommon to hear people say, I've always believed in God, or I've always been a Christian. And, and I gotta tell you, if, if you think you've always been a Christian, in all likelihood, you are not a Christian. Because becoming a child of God through the crucifixion, through the, the aftermath of the crucifixion of Christ on the cross takes a choice, and it doesn't happen by accident. You notice that Jesus said, this is the covenant, you know, as he held up the cup, he says, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. You know, another word for covenant is contract. And you just don't fall into a contract. You have to willingly choose to enter into that contract. Let me give you an example from my own journey, right? Both of my boys, when they went off to college, they had to borrow funds to finish school. Some of you were in the same shoes I do. I got to be the co-signer on the master promissory note. Any other buddy in here got the same problem? You know, and I'm thinking, I hope they keep their jobs and keep making their payments and they don't pull my credit down with them and all this other good stuff, right, you know? And, but I signed up for that deal. Well, let's just imagine that tomorrow one of my boys works, walks into a dealership and buys a new Porsche. And he, and, and, and he, and he writes on the bottom of the CAD contract, if I can't pay this, my dad will. Two months later, they can't make the payments anymore, and Porsche Financing USA or whatever is showing and calling me on the phone saying, well, you need to pay. Well, well why? And so, well, because you're his father. So, so what? <laughs> you know, I mean, when he was 18, he was out. Forget it. Gone. You know, and, and I, w- would I be obligated? Because I haven't made that choice. 
to enter into contract, you have to make a choice. You do not just become a believer by accident. It, it, and, and, and I don't want to overdefine it because I think sometimes we do that too much, but there are th- several clear elements that are a part of the journey of becoming a believer, and we need to look back and recall those as we come to the table. One element is conviction. It's the conviction of sin. I know talking about sin and that kind of stuff isn't popular in our culture. It's all about building people up and the self-esteem. And, you know, I, my kids, were when they were playing Little League Baseball, everybody got a participation trophy, right? Because everybody has to feel good kind of idea. But I got to tell you, there is no coming to the cross of Christ and experiencing the new life that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ without conviction of sin. Without reading a passage like in the book of Romans, says we're all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. It, 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 and, and realize, you know what? That's talking about me. Talking about me. And, and if you've never had an experience of the conviction of your sin and the sense of, of your lostness or your helplessness before God in that area, then you probably really haven't ever stepped into the kingdom. When, when I go out to meet with children who are six, seven, eight years of age who say they want to be baptized because they have faith in Christ. i got to tell you, the one place where I zero in with them is what's their understanding of sin? Because you can't get saved if you're not lost. And, and I'm not trying to use that churchy language, but you can't get saved if you're not lost. If, if you don't really understand that how you live your life has somehow alienated you from God and His holiness, then, then there is no chance to step into the kingdom. So it's conviction. Second element is confession. Somehow or another, I, I don't, you know, whether it's you on your knees with your hands folded and your head raised with your eyes closed or you're driving, whatever form, but it's a confession saying, God, I'm confessing to you that I am a sinner. I, I'm acknowledging how you see me without Christ. And there's that confession of our sin to God. And then third, there's a, this there's this choice, this decision to say, and I trust in what Christ did on the cross as the solution for my sin. And a part of that choice is I'm going to live my life by faith in him from here going forward. Those three elements are a part of becoming a believer. I, I don't know how you've experienced them. Sometimes it can happen in a moment. For me, I was 11 years old, and there was a lot of teaching time together, but it was just on a Sunday morning that all coalesced, and, 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 I, and I took a step into the kingdom. And even though some rocky moments after that, I've never doubted that that was the moment that I stepped into the kingdom. Some of you can't point to a pinpoint moment, but others of you, you know, this, this idea, well, I've always believed in God, you know, and, and I've always loved Jesus. i got to tell you, I have concern for you because the Scripture says that we need to enter into the covenant. And it takes a choice on our part. And we should be able to look back on the choice. I could go on, but we need to move forward. <laughs> we need to look within. We've got to look back. We've got to look within. What, 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 is, what does Paul say here? Verse 28, so a man should examine himself, and in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. Now, here's what often happens for us, right? We, we get the cup in our hand and the bread, and we're thinking, 
I'm a spiritual smuck. You know, I'm just not near as committed as I should be, and I'm not as near as faithful as I should be. This is not God's moment to say, let's have beat up on Neil moment or beat up on anybody else moment. That's not what he's asking for. He's not asking for you to, to grieve over coming up of short of some kind of spiritual perfection that we might have in our mind's eyes, but he is asking us with a sense of honesty, with a sense of, of, of thoroughness, with a sense of rigorousness to actually go through a process of self-scrutiny. Where am I right with God? Where am I not right with God? What am I going to do about those things? How am I going to let God work within me? He's not asking you to somehow be, to, to get depressed about where you're not spiritually. He's asking you to take a good look at current reality and asking God, you to take forward. Now, a part of the problem with us then is that coming to the Lord's table takes preparation. It takes preparation. You know, uh, and... I get quite often questions about, from folks about, well, how often do you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Do you do it every week? Do you do it, you know, what would it, we do it about once a month. I, I don't know if that's great or not. Some of it, we don't want to become so familiar with it because, that we, it, becomes, it becomes difficult for it to have a sense of significance and really call us to moments of remembering. But we don't want it to be so far apart either because when you and I come to the table, there should be some time of preparation. A time for us to actually go through a good, healthy evaluation of where we're at in our journey. Third, look back, the look within, then there's a look around. You know, you notice when I was reading this text, at the beginning and the end, Paul talks about how they're doing life together. Guys are getting together and having a meal, and some folks over in the corner, they got, they got a nine-course, you know, fancy meal going on, right? And some other people in the corner, they're trying to cut up the French fries because that's all they got to spare between one another. You know, and, and it's all done in community. In chapter 10, he talks about the fact that when we come together and we share the Lord's supper table, there, there's only one loaf. That means we're all in this together. And, and there is an element where you and I cannot remember and celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that, that the Son of God stepped out of heaven, became one of us, stayed as the God-man, still is the God-man, seated at the right hand of the Father. We cannot celebrate where the sacrifice that God has made for us if we're not in love with His body. And that's the church. That's the church. And... And we need to be in love with the body of Christ. And that means the people who make it up. We, we don't need to just be one of these parasite kind of fishes that rides along the back of the whales and the sharks and stuff. We need to be a part of the family. You know what I mean? And, and, and there's a way in which we need to take a look around and say, am I really engaged and in love with the body of Christ? Am I doing my spiritual journey as family? in the body of Christ. One last one. There's the look behind, there's the look within, there's the look around, and then there's the look ahead. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now there's certainly an element there of, of proclamation. 
the celebration of the of the the of communion of the Lord's Supper, the celebration and remembering of the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, and the ascension, all that flows through it, his sacrifice that he made for us, is supposed to be a reminder for you and I that you and I are supposed to be witnesses. We're supposed to proclaim that to others. And for us to take it and think it was just this that we're a destination. Rather than, rather than a hub where the gospel is going to go on to somewhere else, we're, we're really not taking it, but that, that, that's a different story. <laughs> when we talk about looking ahead, it is proclaiming that we believe that he's going to come again. And, you know, I, I love it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And, you know, again, 1 Peter 1, 13, and you may want to write this, that down, but he says, you know, you, you, need to, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. And he says, and you need to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. There is an ascent when you and I come to the table and we understand that we've entered into this new covenant. And a part of that new covenant is that God has promised that he's going to come for us again. That God is inviting us to fast forward that, to, to reverse that future into our present and have it change the way that we're living our lives now, that somehow or another, the event of the return of Christ transforms the way you and I are living our experiences today. My, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law just did something that, in my opinion, is just crazy, and you, you really probably need psychotherapy or whatever, but they, they signed up for and ran a half marathon up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or wherever it was, up on the coast, right? And so they signed up, paid their fee, and they circled that date on the calendar. And, and my sister-in-law, she's been working out for a long time, riding all these guys and stuff or whatever. And, I mean, she needs real help. But, you know, um, but she dragged her husband into this. You know, and, and he works really early. He goes to work like 4 in the morning. He gets off like at 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And, and he'd be posting every once on Facebook, you know, out for a six-mile run today, feel good and that kind of stuff. But, but all of that was in the fact that there was an event in the future that he was either going to suffer greatly through or he could get ready for. But what was coming impacted his discipline today. I, I don't see those Facebook pieces, posts now that he's on the other side of the half marathon, right? I don't think he's out doing, they came up to see us in New Hampshire one morning and they went out for a 90-minute run. And, and I haven't seen a 90-minute run on his Facebook page since they did the half marathon. But, but it was because that event was out there in the future, it was changing the way that he was living now. God's asking us to do the same thing when we come to the table. I, I don't care if, if it's the loss of a loved one. We've had family just go through that. I don't care if it's a severe illness and we've got people who are dealing with that. I don't care if it's a job loss or a relational problem or financial problems or whatever it is. God is asking for every single event that takes place in our lives to be influenced and impacted by the future that's coming to us in Jesus Christ. And when we hold that bread in our hands and we take the cup, he's asking us to look ahead and to call us to a different kind of living because of the life we're going to have for all eternity with him. So in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer. And while we're praying, our servers are going to mysteriously appear in the back corners of the, of the sanctuary. And when I get done, they're going to come forward and they're going to pass you the elements. I'm going to ask you to hold those until we get there.
and then I'll lead each of us taking it. But some of you this morning, you're here and you know, you're saying, you know, this, this idea of, of, of having made a specific choice to become a child of God, I, I just don't know about that. And, and here's, here's what I want to ask you to do. If, 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 as you look back, and you're not sure you ever took that step over the line from no faith to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to do so this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, that, Dad. As, as the, the, the worship team, a couple, part of the worship team is going to come, and they're going to be leading us in music, and the elements are going to be served. But as, as the elements are being served, I'm going to ask you to get up and come down here and give me an opportunity to pray with you, and then I'll serve you elements from the tray that's up here. So, like, oh, geez, everybody will know God. I, I understand all of that. You know, but i got to tell you, Jesus said, you know, if you, if, if, if you confess me before men, I'm going to confess you before the Father. There's an aspect of our faith that is inherently public. You might as well start out at the very beginning, going public. I don't want that to be a barrier, though. If for some reason you're just not going to get out of your chair and do that, whatever, I'll talk to you into the lobby, do whatever, but, but we really want to give you the opportunity to build your faith journey on the foundation of Christ crucified by your personal choice. For the rest of us, let's remember Let's really remember. Let's pray together. And as I pray, I invite our servers to make their way to the, to the back. You know, God, what you did was absolutely incredible. No, no man could have thunk it up and worked it out. <clears throat> that you, the creator of the universe, would choose to become one of us so that we could spend eternity with you. Doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is satisfy the penalty for sin. And that you've given us that gift in Jesus Christ. God, as we come to your table today, we choose to remember. We remember who you are, we remember what you've done, and we remember who we are in you and what that's supposed to mean to us each and every single day. God bless us as we celebrate the Lord's meal today. We pray it in Jesus' name.